If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey everybody, today on the show we're going to be talking about Monster Hunter Rise. We're going to be talking about Nintendo, Kirby, the Steam Deck. We've also got Final Fantasy XIV, Hitman 3, Fortnite, and then Xbox versus PlayStation there's a lot going on on today's episode, so let's get started. There were a lot of games that surprised me this year. Um, Halo Infinite, I was completely blown away by. Um, Metroid Dread was absolutely fantastic. But I think the game that surprised me the most would have to be Monster Hunter Rise. I had played other Monster Hunter games before... And none of them really got their hooks into me the way that Monster Hunter Rise did. And on the Nintendo Switch, when it came out last year in March, I dumped like 60 hours into it, which I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you've been consuming the content that I make for any length of time, you know that I have a infinitesimally small attention span. And the idea that a game can pull me in for 60 hours is rare. So that was a big deal. And a big thank you to Capcom for sending me a review copy of the PC version, which just came out last week. Um, man, I've been having a, uh, an absolute blast with that. And, you know, there's a bunch of people who are like friends with me on Steam and they can see that I'm playing tons of monster hunter for the past few days and i had quite a few people ask you know is it worth it if i already have it on the nintendo switch to buy it on the pc and i guess the answer is going to be it depends and that's almost always the answer to any question really um here's what it depends on number one how important is performance to you number two how important is portability to you and number three is the Steam Deck going to be great, and are you going to get one? Uh, those three, those four questions, I guess, really have to be answered before you can make that decision about whether or not to buy the PC version of the game. So first off, let's talk about performance. Um, this is a game that was made for the Nintendo Switch. That was the only place that you could play it for almost a year. It ran really well on there, not 60 frames per second or anything, but it ran at 30 frames per second and there were really no big issues. It ran wonderfully and people put hundreds upon hundreds of hours into Monster Hunter Rise and no complaints were really had. The game running on my computer, which is not like the best computer in the world, but it's pretty decent. Uh, it runs at 4K, 60 frames per second, absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and smooth as absolute butter uh so performance on the pc is a whole lot better without a doubt but in order to achieve that you have to give up the portability of the nintendo switch and being able to take 
your game with you wherever you go is incredibly convenient and i think that there's a that that's probably a, a reason that a lot of people put so many hours into monster hunter rise so that's definitely something that you have to think about but you also have to think about the fact that uh, valve recently uh, well not too recently um last summer they announced the steam deck and then once they announced the steam deck a lot of people started asking those questions. Are we going to be able to play game X on this system? Is it going to run okay? And like we even have this this tweet from uh, Pierre Lugrify who works at Valve. And if I butchered how I pronounced his name, I apologize. But he works at Valve and he said, Monster Hunter Rise is running great on Proton. If you don't know what Proton is, uh, Proton is a translation layer which takes games that are made for Windows and translates them to Linux so that you can play those games without a Linux native version of the game. And according to Pierre Lou, who is um, uh, working on the Steam Deck itself, it seems to be running okay, which is very, very good news if you're somebody who wants both the performance and you want to have the portability and that seems to be you know where you're going to end up if you want to have the performance and the the portability then the steam deck is probably the version of the game that you want to get should you buy the game on pc or on nintendo switch well if you already have a nintendo switch and you've waited this long and you're not going to get a a steam deck then get it on switch no questions asked if you don't have a Nintendo Switch, then obviously pick it up on PC. If you have a PC and you have a Nintendo Switch and you think you might pick up a uh, a Steam Deck, then I would say wait. And it's it you know it's a shame for me to say that because uh, Monster Hunter Rise is an absolutely fantastic game. Sixty hours in it on the Nintendo Switch. I got the review copy. I don't know a week ago and i've already got 15 hours on the pc it's really fun and addictive uh it's got an amazing gameplay loop um i'm extremely excited to play it on the steam deck where yeah it'll be 800p which is a little bit higher than the nintendo switch and the frame rate will be a little bit better but i think that honestly the comfort of the having never held the steam deck in my hand the comfort of the Steam Deck, I'm in anticipating it being more comfortable than the Nintendo Switch just because of the ergonomics of it. They didn't have to cut corners in order to make the controllers detachable. So I think that really, if you're looking for that perfect, well, I'm not perfect, but that balance between portability and performance for Monster Hunter Rise, then the Steam Deck is the version that you want to have. And the PC version is the version that you want to get. And you could play it right now. And then when it comes out, uh, or when the Steam Deck comes out, then you can install it on uh, your Steam Deck and play it that way. I, for one, am super excited for the Steam Deck and for playing Monster Hunter Rise on it, but also Monster Hunter World. Because right now, if you want to play Monster Hunter World, you have to have a PC or a PS4 and you can't play it on your Nintendo Switch. 
Well, if you want to play it portably, there is currently only one way to do that. And that's going to be on the Steam Deck when that comes out um, next month, really. Uh, so is it worth buying uh, again? I don't know if it's worth buying again. But if is it worth picking it up on PC instead of Switch? I think probably. Speaking of the Nintendo Switch, Kirby and the Forgotten Land is a game that I'm suddenly somewhat interested in. And that really surprises me because I've played Kirby games before and I put them in the same category with Yoshi games. Categories that I know, these are objectively good games, but they don't appeal to me and so I just don't care about them. But for some reason, I took a look at the the footage that Nintendo released of Kirby and the Forgotten Lands, and I think that game looks really good. It, I'm getting some vibes here of Mario 3D Land, which is a really, really great um, game on the 3DS. And if you haven't played it and you have access to a 3DS, definitely check that out. It's very, very fun. But the footage that I saw of gameplay for Kirby and the Forgotten Land is definitely reminding me of Mario 3D Land. And that was a really fun game. So suddenly I find myself interested in a Kirby game where most of the time they don't interest me. I'm curious what you all think. I know that Kirby has traditionally been a 2D game and a lot of people really, really like those games, but they don't appeal to me. So I'm curious what the transition from 2D to 3D uh, means to you? Is it something that is making you more interested in the Kirby series or less interested in the Kirby series? Let me know in the comments down below or hit me up on Twitter. I'm at RunJumpStomp. Speaking of the Steam Deck, it is on track to hit its February launch date. This is, of course, after a delay which happened last year. It was supposed to come out in, in uh, December, but they ended up having to delay it two months due to supply chain issues. Valve is saying, look, We've shipped a whole bunch of dev kits. We just approved hundreds more dev kits that are going out and they are on track for the February launch. We have seen um, some devs who've had their hands on it who they aren't necessarily skeptical about the hardware, but more skeptical about the whether or not SteamOS 3.0 is going to be ready in time. If you want to hear more of a deep dive on this topic, make sure that you either head on over to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash nerdnest, or look for my other podcast on deck, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts where we are talking very, very in detail about what's going on with the Steam Deck, because I, for one, am really, really hyped for that piece of hardware. I think it's going to um, make a huge dent in the gaming universe in 2022. And uh, I'm 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 very bullish on what we're going to see from that. But Valve seems to be bullish on the idea that it's actually going to be coming out in February, which is really good news for those of you who were supposed to get one in December. I unfortunately am going to be waiting until quarter two, unless a bunch of people cancel their orders and then I move up. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. On one hand, I really want to get my hands on the Steam Deck so that I can create content about it. But on the other hand. I want this thing to do incredibly well because I like the idea of this form factor, especially with those two trackpads. Got a pair of Microsoft stories that I want to talk about real quick. Number one, 
a lot of people when Halo Infinite launched were really unhappy at the monetization model. So first off, if you don't know, Halo Infinite is a free to play game if you want to play online. Uh, if you're just playing the campaign, that's not free to play. Like you have to pay for that. But if you just want to play online, you know, red versus blue, essentially, then the game is free. And of course, whenever companies make games, they need some way to make money from them. So how do you make money in that case? Microtransactions. And people were unhappy with the way that the microtransactions worked. They, they didn't like the battle pass system. Um, 343 has been really receptive to people's complaints about the battle pass system and good on them for listening to the community and changing. I always liked it, like it when a, uh, a company listens to the people that are playing their game and makes adjustments in order to, you know, hit that sweet spot because it's really hard for a company to understand what is and is not going to feel acceptable to millions of players out there and it's it's really easy for them to start too high and then lower and it's absolutely impossible to start too low and then raise prices after the fact so i think that they decided here's what we'll do we'll start our prices way too high and i think that their prices are way too high but then when everybody complains we'll lower them and we'll keep lowering them until we hit that sweet spot and people stop complaining about that. That's just good business sense. And if you're somebody who's playing Halo Infinite and you want to have, you know, the cat ears or whatever, I do understand that you probably don't like the way that they're doing it, but they got to be able to make money or the video games don't happen. So I, I applaud that 343 is listening to the players and lowering their prices and changing the microtransactions. I think that that's a good thing. Another Microsoft story that I want to talk about, and this is really weird. It's it's like the two juggernauts in the, I'm going to say with quotes here, next gen gaming um, industry, uh, you know, Microsoft and Sony, they're both approaching the chip shortage and the supply chain issues in very different ways. Microsoft has said, you know what? We're all done with the Xbox One from here on out. It's, X, it's Xbox Series or nothing. And at the same time, Sony is saying, you know what? We're having so much trouble making PS5s. Uh, we're going to go ahead and make some more PS4s this year. And it's just such a weird thing to do. It's this generation. And I'm going to, I don't know if I want to include Nintendo in this generation, but I'm going to. Uh, this generation of Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft and Google and uh, we've got Luna and everything else that's out there and obviously Valve, everybody seems to be doing things in different ways. It's not any, it used to just be a numbers race. Who could have the biggest numbers in order for processing power. But that's not really the way that the gaming industry is anymore. Now it's all about the business model. You've got Nintendo doing what Nintendo does. Then you have um, Microsoft going all in on Game Pass and the subscription. And I think, you know, the, the fact that, that Microsoft can't keep Xboxes on the shelf 
and they said la- last episode, I believe, that they um, that they've sold more Xboxes at this point than any other time that they've done in the past. Uh, that like more this generation than any other time in the past. That's a huge indicator that their that their subscription model is working. Then you look at Sony, and Sony's all about the exclusives and all about the like they are always talking about the horsepower and how great their games look which is great um but that's a very different uh value proposition to the end user and then you have like google stadia where you can buy your games and not have to have a box under your uh tv you can do the same thing with Amazon Luna or GeForce Now, although even the cloud computing uh, people are all doing things differently because with with Luna, you have to subscribe. You can't buy games. With GeForce Now, you don't buy games from GeForce. You just use their computers to play the games that you already own. And then with Stadia, they are basically running a store where you can buy your games from them. And if you want, you can pay an optional upgrade fee uh, to get 4K, 60 and all that stuff. It's just everybody has their own business model, their own monetization method. And it, I don't know that there's there's definitely one that is right for you. And there's definitely one or multiples that are right for you. And there's definitely ones that are not right for you. But I don't think any of them are necessarily wrong. And I think that all of them need to find ways to steal from each other, but it's just, it's even leaking into the supply chain issue where Microsoft is like, screw it, we're done with the old ones, on with the new ones. And then you have Sony where they're like, well, look, we still wanna sell hardware, but we can't make enough. So let's make some PS4s. I don't know which is the right move, but I mean, as somebody who already has a PS4, I'm not really the right person to ask about that. So let me ask you, person who may or may not have X piece of hardware, who do you think is doing it the right way this time around? Not just in the business model, but the whole idea of Microsoft going all in on on new hardware and Sony saying, well, we can still sell you the new hardware and some of the old hardware. Let me know in the comments down below or hit me up on Twitter. Uh, this is this was a weird story that I did not anticipate uh, talking about. A, a while back, Epic Games and Apple started suing each other because they're all jerks. It doesn't really matter why. Uh, but they started suing each other and Apple said, that's it, you're off of our app store and now you can't play Fortnite on an iOS device. That just changed because of a weird backdoor with GeForce Now. Now, if you don't know what GeForce Now is, as I talked about a little bit ago, it's basically a way for you to play your games on NVIDIA's hardware in the cloud. And it works really well. I I have uh, access to the 3080 tier, and you can play games at 4K, 60 HDR. Looks absolutely gorgeous. And I don't have like the best hardware, so it works really well. That being said, uh, you can also play games like there's a lot of free to play games that you can play on GeForce now and Fortnite is one of them. Now, up until recently, if you opened it up, opened up GeForce now on your iPhone, Fortnite would not show up. 
But what just got announced, uh, I believe it was at the end of last week, was, or I think it was Thursday of last week, was that Fortnite now has touch input on GeForce Now. So if you load it up on your iPhone on GeForce Now, currently it's in closed beta, you can play just like you would if you were playing on your phone natively, only now you have, uh, it's gonna look a whole lot better, I'm sure, because it's coming from like the 3080 tier on on GeForce's servers, which is really, really pretty. Um, This kind of gets around Apple's, no, you can't do that. And it makes me wonder, well, actually, Apple can't even really do anything about this because it, they're, you're just playing it in Safari. It's just a website that you're streaming to them. And I wonder if we're going to see GeForce Now and Stadia and other cloud gaming, like uh, the Microsoft's uh, Xbox cloud gaming or Luna, be the vector to force Apple to change their policies because... Even if they try to enforce the policies, you could just say, well, I could just stream it to my phone anyway. Now, of course, in order to stream it, you have to have a pretty decent internet connection, much better internet connection than just playing a a local version of the game. It is a game that's always online, but just playing a game that's installed on your phone doesn't use nearly as much data as streaming a game from a data center to your phone. Like that's a lot bigger of an ask, but you know, where I live, it's not gonna work because like our, I get like one bar on my Verizon, which is terrible, but what are you gonna do? But there's a lot of people out there that live where there's plenty of uh, decent internet and good coverage everywhere. And they're gonna have absolutely no problem streaming a game to their phone. Is this going to push Apple to allow Fortnite back onto the store because now what's essentially happening is people are playing going to play it on GeForce now and Apple doesn't get any of that money whereas before they were getting 30% of every sale that went through does this give Epic Games a leg up over Apple I don't know but it's definitely interesting, and I'm, I'm curious as to what's going to happen in the future. Another one of my favorite games that I played last year, I played on Google Stadia. It was Hitman 3, and um, that's getting a big update this year that I think is going to add a lot of replayability to that game. Now, Hitman 3, I oh, or well, the Hitman series, I always kind of ignored, uh, and when I played it on Stadia last year, It kind of blew me away how much fun it is. Uh, But this new mode that they're adding to the game sounds even better. Basically, they're adding like a roguelike elements to the Hitman series, which is going to be incredibly fun. Uh, Agent 47 is going to have like a, a safe house. And then you can go out from your safe house and you have to go up against these different criminal elements and it's going to be randomly generated as you're playing each time and when you die you can probably bring some of that stuff that you got back in order to upgrade your safe house which gives you access to more things uh roguelike elements increase the replayability of a game that's already really replayable and i I think that this is going to be a really really good year for the hitman series and i'm not only saying that 
uh, because Agent 47 has the best haircut. One of the biggest stories this year has to be the the huge upswing in popularity of Final Fantasy XIV, one of my absolute favorite MMOs of all time. They just, well, first off, um, there was a huge decline in interest in World of Warcraft. And a lot of the people who were, uh, you know, people who had played lots of World of Warcraft were looking for a, a place to go, uh, an MMO to jump into. And a lot of them landed in Final Fantasy XIV. So first it had a huge upswing in popularity from that. But then Endwalker came out. And if you don't know what that is, that's the, the latest uh, expansion in the the series and the thing about it is it was so popular that you had to wait hours in queue in order to play the game so so much there was so much so many people waiting to play final fantasy 14 that square did the absolutely amazing and gutsy and pro-consumer thing which is not usually something you'll hear me say about square enix but not a huge surprise when you're talking about the guy in charge, which is Yoshi P. Um, they said, you know what? We're not going to let anybody buy the game anymore. We're going to take the game off of the digital shelves out there. So you can no longer buy Final Fantasy 14. And because of that, it lowered the stress on their servers. And they were able to get people to spread out a little. And they were able to... Uh, deal with the ridiculous influx of people all trying to play at the same time. And now the servers are starting to be a lot more stable. Well, okay, I don't want to say stable because once you got into the game, it was solid as a rock and I'd never been kicked off once I had started playing. But getting into the game was an absolute nightmare. Well, that is starting to ebb away that nightmare of getting into the game and because of that square is now saying hey on january 25th you're going to be able to start playing again and they're also going to have like the free trial coming back so i expect that the servers for final fantasy 14 are going to run into an issue short in the short term but i don't think that square would bring them back online not bring them back online that's not the right phrase I don't think that they would um, start selling the game again if they weren't confident in their ability to manage the server load. And I expect what will happen is it will be a quick speed bump and then back to normal. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, I wouldn't be surprised if Square says, oh, you know what? Sorry, we're going to have to stop selling the game again because it's just too popular. And when you're talking about an MMO... An MMO lives or dies by how many people are playing. Final Fantasy XIV seems to be in its absolute heyday right now. And if I wasn't so distracted by all the other games that I have to play, that's the one that I'd be playing like nonstop because it's so damn good. All right, everybody, that's it for this episode of Games with Bill. If you're watching this on my YouTube channel, look over there and watch that video. I'm out of here. Stay awesome. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.